Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Father, you uh, know us, uh, each one, and you care for us uh, deeply. You know the things and the different places that we find ourselves in this week. A week is such a long time for, for some of us. Um, things have changed in, in big ways, and we find ourselves here with uh, disappointments or griefs that we didn't expect uh, a week ago. Um, for others of us, there's, there's been good news and we're, uh, we're full of uh, life and, and joy. You know precisely where each one of us is and you've put before, before us this next bit of your word and for some of us it's maybe not what we immediately think we need to hear. And yet we pray, please, that in your mercy there be something good for each one of us, whether we're very used to looking at Christian things or, or, or looking at the Bible is, is somehow new and alien to us. Thank you that you're a living, speaking God. And we pray that we would all be changed by our encounter with you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, think for a minute of the so-called uh, wise phrases that we say to uh, children. Um, phrases like, uh, don't run with scissors, So you say. Um, An apple a day uh, keeps the doctor away. Uh, Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Think of the sort of range of 
phrases, wise sayings, so-called, that we say to, to children. I mean, the first of those is a very good one, isn't it? Don't run with scissors. That, you know, that's, that's clear. Uh, if that's passed you by in your upbringing, you know, that's a very important one. If you're thinking this afternoon, it's a nice afternoon, I might go for a run, might take the scissors. Don't. Um, don't. Okay, so that, that's very obvious, that one. Um, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. It's lot, plenty of sense in that one. That's, that's very good. Um, if you like apples, keep eating them. They're healthy. The GPs in, in the room here, I'm sure they would say that's good. I don't, I can't, it doesn't promise that the doctor's going to stay away, so it's, you know, it's not quite uh, cast iron, that, that second one. How about the third one? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Half right, sticks and stones, they're bad news. They can break your bones. Words will never hurt you. Completely wrong. Completely wrong. It's a disastrous phrase to teach or to believe. It's simply not true. Uh, Words have power. Words can hurt. Words can do lifelong damage. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Uh, James chapter 3. This book, if you're joining us, is a book written by James to reveal genuine faith which saves. He wants to encourage us in that, if that's what we find in our hearts. Genuine faith which saves. And he he encourages us on the book to be steadfast, to keep going. There is a crown of life at the end. But on the other hand, he's revealing fake faith or dead faith, as we heard last week. And last week we heard that the presence or the absence of works reveals genuine or faith, fake faith. And this week, in a similar way, that our words reveal the same. Our words can reveal to us and to others whether what we experience is genuine or fake faith. And James, in other words, is seeking to bring practice and behavior in line with belief. And he's building on chapter 1, verse 26. If you've got a Bible, you can, now's a good moment to open it up. Page 1216. Page 1216. If anyone, chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious is is worthless. So we saw the tongue, we saw how we treat the helpless. Um, we saw our, whether world, worldly or not. These are th- indicators that he set up back in chapter 1, and we said that he'd sort of focus on, on those in turn, and that's what he's doing. So, so now we've got that, that verse being uh, unpacked in these verses. And the headline of the, these verses you'll see is verse 1. That's the headline for it. Only a few, not many of you, should become teachers, my brother's and sisters. Only a few people should teach. Now he's talking about teaching the Bible there. He's not saying, you know, only a few should become mass teachers. He's talking about Bible teaching there. And the reason is, you can see it in the rest of the verse, for, because that's the reason, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So only a few should teach the Bible because God will judge teachers and leaders to a higher standard. So this sermon, the most important person who needs to listen to this sermon today is actually me as I preach this. 
It's a very important sermon for, for me to listen to and to do. The leader of a church should always be the chief repenter. So pray for me. Pray for me as I think this through. I've been just working it through, trying to identify for myself sins, areas of, of wrong in this for me. You see, James is saying that there is a category, in other words, of those who shouldn't teach, presumably. Not because of gifting or, 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 or something like that, but because of character, because of what is expressed through the tongue. And therefore, if you were to spot a sort of a bad pattern in, in me, you need to speak to the wardens. You need to speak to James and, and Patrick. We want to have plural eldership, team ministry. But it raises the question for others of us as well. Maybe you're involved in leading a Bible study group here this morning. Maybe you're involved in teaching the children uh, Sunday by Sunday. Maybe you're teaching your children the Bible. Perhaps you're here and you're thinking about, should I consider paid Christian ministry? And James would say, think. Not, not many should do that from amongst us. So that person should ask others, do you think I'm, I'm suited, not, not just in gifting, but in character? How do I use words? Because James is saying that teachers will either build up or, or damage God's people. And it asks us as a church, whether we're here or in future years when we move church and we go elsewhere, to think what sort of leaders will we put ourselves and our, our families under? James is saying, look for someone who has control of their tongue, who uses words with integrity. Now he goes on to explain in, in the next verse, verse 2, that we all stumble in, in many ways. He's used this word before in chapter 1 a, a few times, talking about not, not perfection or sinlessness, none, none of us are that but Jesus, but maturity, someone able to bride, uh, bride the whole body. And by the time we get to verse 5, if you look down, it's clear that he's talking about the tongue. He doesn't mention it in, in, until then. But he's talking about the, the tongue. In one sense, he's talking about the physical thing, the thing that's in, in, in our mouths. But really, he's talking about words, how, how we use words. And at that point, I think it becomes easier to see the connection between that and, and teachers because... We teachers use words. The, the teacher from the front uses words. And so we need teachers who use words rightly in their personal and public life. Because in the same way that a human body and a human life, our lives are set on course or off course by our tongues, so the church is a body in the same way. And it too will be set on course or off course by our teachers. So can you start to see the connection, why he's going on about not many should teach and then all of this stuff to do with the tongues? It's, it's for that reason, teaching and words. And, and words matter, and that's no surprise in a world where the God who created the world is a speaking God, who created it by a word, who speaks through his word. Now, to control the tongue, we need to understand it. And James gives us four things to help us to understand uh, about our tongues and our words. He says, not many of us should become teachers because words are powerful, destructive, uncontrollable, and revealing. Let's just go through those uh, in turn. And he starts with words are powerful, verses 1 to 5. And he starts with two examples of small things that have an influence out of all proportion with their size. 
And the first one is he says, think of a, think of a horse. So there's a horse, and if you've, you know, maybe you like horse racing or you ride yourself, if you've ever stood up close to a horse, they are fearsomely powerful animals. When you're up close, you see the, the great power packed into uh, the muscles. And yet, and yet, James is saying that whole body, that enormous powerful animal, is controlled by a tiny piece of metal. A bit, just about that long, that you put in its mouth and you can control it. So that's his first image of, of, of power. Uh, the second is, is in verse 4, and it's, it's a you know, similar image. It says, you know, there's a picture of a tanker, enormous tanker, thousands, thousands of feet long, and yet, next picture, it's controlled by a rudder, tiny rudder, which is just a, you know, percentage, tiny percentage, 1% of its size. And that rudder doesn't just control it, it actually sets the direction, that little bit of metal just sets the direction for the entire thing, sending it one way or the other. And James is saying, so also the tongue. It's a tiny member in the percentage of your, of your body mass, about you know, 20 centimeters long. And yet, verse 6, it boasts of great things. And in a sense, he's saying, rightly so. Rightly so, that the, the, the tongue, end of verse uh, 5, sorry, boasts of great things. Rightly so, because it's very powerful when you compare it with sort of other parts of the body. James is saying, think about the, the effect that the tongue can have just by saying a few words. I mean, and Putin says we're going to launch military operations. He calls it in the Donetsk. And carnage is unleashed. War is unleashed. Just some words. Just words that he spoke. And lives are destroyed forever. Devastation. Think on the other side, positively. Martin Luther King, some words. I have a dream. And he sets in, in motion a, a movement seeking racial justice. Just sets the, just some words, powerful words. And James is saying that the tongue in that sense is right to boast. Tiny words, a few sentences that, that we say to ourselves, of ourselves, or we say about others, can set our lives and the lives of others on one path or another. You know, words like, you're, you're useless. You're, you're a waste of space. Just can set a, a life in one direction. Or you're precious. You're deeply loved. Said over days and weeks and months. Sets someone's life in a totally different direction. Tiny words. Short sentences. And you and I can all think of things that we wish we'd said this week as we look back. I just wish I'd said that. And we didn't. Or we look back and we think, I wish I hadn't said that. Even as the words were pouring out of my mouth, or the, it, the email was being written, I wish I could unsay that, but it's, it's out there now. Friends, this week, let us be careful about the words that come out of our mouths, physically or online or on social media. Here's a guide that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 4. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We have an opportunity this week in our families, in our friendships, in our places of work, to use words that will build other people up. Maybe at cost to ourselves, yes. And we have the opportunity to give grace to those who hear. Words are powerful, is the first thing. Secondly, says James, words are destructive. This is the end of verse 5 to to 6. Let me read it. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Now look again, it's a similar um, illustration, something with power out of all proportion with its size. But this time it's got an added twist to it. This time the thing that he chooses is, is very destructive indeed. It's the illustration of, of a spark and a fire. It's the pictures that you and I see every so often on our TV screens of, of, of fires raging out of control in the Australian bush or on the Californian hills. We just see that the power of that as it just sweeps everything before it. And we know as well that the fire services turn up and they do the investigation. And very often the fire service say, we've discovered where it started and it started just over here with a, it was a barbecue. It was, it was a match. It was just a spark. And all of that destruction just came from that. And friends, James is saying that the tongue, our words, are like that. That The tongue has within it, verse 6, a world of unrighteousness. I mean, a world is contained within that. I mean, think of the the arsenal of weapons that are at our disposal when it comes to the the tongue. A world of unrighteousness is available for us to draw on. We, we We can pull out a lie or an insult. We can use constant criticism or angry outbursts, gossip, emotional manipulation, cursing, withholding words, silent treatment, threats, bitter speech. A world of unrighteousness is within the tongue. You and I have all of those and more at our disposal. And so I wonder which one you most quickly reach for. I wonder which one we most quickly reach for. It would be good to identify that, wouldn't it? To know our enemy, to, to, to pray that the Lord would help us to make progress in this. And look, can I say as well that some of us may be on the receiving end of those sorts of words a lot. And this chapter should be an encouragement to us that Jesus knows and Jesus cares about that. He cares and he sees when we're on the receiving end of that. But look, here is James saying that this little tongue is set among the members of the other the bodies. 
you know, among the, there's the liver, the arm, there's the nose, but, but the tongue, it can stain the, the whole body. And he goes on to say it can set on, on fire the entire course of life, and it is itself set on fire, did you notice, by hell. End of verse 6. He's not saying that last bit to absolve us of responsibility, so we say, look, it wasn't me doing it, it was, you know, it was hell, it was Satan doing it. No, no. We're responsible. But he is showing us the character of, of some of this, where it comes from. We are culpable, but the tongue can have a hellish influence. And so we need to know, we need to be aware of the destructive power of the tongue. That came home to me um, recently as I watched this uh, documentary. Um, some of you might have seen this a couple of years ago. Freddie Flintoff, a one called Living with Bulimia, coming to terms himself with a terrible illness that he's had for the last um, 20 or so years. And as he spoke, it's clear that he could trace it back to a period of his life when unkind words were said about his weight in the paper. He can trace those 25 years of illness Back to what was said about him. And those words set him on course for life. I mean, they were just words, you say. They were just you know, sticks and stones. No, no, no. Damaging words. Destructive words. And so for us at, at school, some of you at school or university, are we going to be those who hold back from joining in as others tease that boy or girl in our class? as the damage begins. Are we going to be those who hold back as Jesus helps us? Think about the effect that a a lie can have on an organization. You know, a a lie, fraudulent practices and and the outworking of that. Are we going to be people in our workplaces who who use words rightly, who, who tell the truth? And what sort of culture are we going to create in the places that that we live? With our homes, our friends, our family or, or children? Will we use Words that build up or words that are destructive. You know, positive words that build up, like, you did that really well, thank you. Or, or will we use words that create insecurity? Maybe that's done in a loud, shouty way. Maybe it's done in a passive, frosty, aggressive way. Friends, are the words, I'm sorry and I forgive you, heard often or ever in our homes? Not... I can only apologize for that, or or I'm sorry that you feel like that. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I did wrong. It was my fault. Please forgive me. And where there is repentance, are words like, I forgive you, spoken, even if it takes time. Look, friends, I think there is an application for us as a a church uh, at the moment. You know, in 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 the situation that we're in. That, that we all, me included, use our tongues carefully and wisely with one another. We want to be people, wherever we are, who build relationships in our homes and communities that are like, we've got a picture on the screen here, we have a choice with our words. You see, we either are going to build homes and church communities that are like a beautiful house or a garden, or we will drop sparks that will light fire and those words will raise everything to the ground. Think about it. Our words can be like that spark of fire that can raise a family or a workplace or a church or a child to a smoldering ruin. Just tiny words. It's terrifying, isn't it? Don't you find it terrifying? The power 
of words. And it doesn't get better in the next point. James is taking us to a crisis moment in the book. Thirdly, our words are uncontrollable. Verse 7 to 9. And this is a simple and a quick point in one sense. He says every type of beast or bird can be tamed. And at this point, I could you know, put some pictures on the screen of uh, Mike Tyson with his tigers. You remember him sort of taming his tigers? Or was it Joe Exotic on, on Netflix with his, 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 tigers, his tigers? But James is saying taming a tiger for Mike Tyson is, is easy compared to taming the tongue. So you and I might become aware of the words that, that we use, the powerful, destructive nature of, of our words. And so this week we say, well, I'm going to try harder. Well, how do you think you're going to do this week as you try harder? Maybe on Monday you remember and you try and it's sort of 8 out of 10. Maybe Tuesday you forget, more like 7 out of 10. But then Wednesday you have bad sleep. The kids are whining, work is stressful. Amazon delivered to the wrong address. And that thing that really winds you up, that person just does it. And just before you know it, you just let it out. The words are out before you know it. You give them both barrels. And at that point, you feel like the tongue really is like a wild or untamed beast. You think to yourself, where did that come from? You thought you'd tamed it. But clearly, you hadn't. Friends, I wonder, is that your experience? It's my experience. Our tongues can feel very uncontrollable. And James tells us why, verse 8, he says, It is a restless evil, it's full of deadly poison. Evil and poison and venom can come out of our mouths. And he's writing to people calling themselves believers. And he goes on in in verse 9, No human being can tame the tongue, it's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And if we stop and think, we know that our tongue is uncontrollable because it's capable of such good. We can praise God's name as we have done already this morning and yet just a few hours later we can curse his creatures, the people that he's made. We can poison the the happiest of scenes. And when an untamed beast breaks out of the cage through our tongues again, the question, where did that come from, is actually a really good question. And it takes us to our last point, which is that words are revealing. Words are revealing, verses 9 to 12. Let me just read uh, these verses again, verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is a great book for illustrations. It's just packed. You notice this as we go through concrete, visual, picture language. I guess, I'm guessing he learnt it from his brother Jesus who spoke in that way with parables all the time. Don't you think? I wonder. But these two illustrations make the point that a product reveals the source. That's the point. A product reveals the source. So if the produce is olives, you started with an olive tree. That's how it works. If you end up with a fig, if that's the produce, you started with a fig tree. The product reveals the source. If you've got fresh water downstream, you started with a freshwater spring. If you've got salt water, 
It comes from a salt water source. But then he says in these verses, if you've got fresh and salt together, something's gone wrong. And what you should do at that point is you should examine the source. You've got a double product. Looks like you've got a double source. Jesus said a similar thing in Matthew chapter 12. He said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. He's saying bad things don't produce good things. Do you remember James' purpose? Do you remember what he's trying to do? He's trying to reveal genuine faith and, and dead faith. He's concerned for where there's double-souledness. And so he's saying where you see double lips, blessing and cursing, you should examine the source to see if maybe there's a double-souledness going on there. So if we sing a lovely song in church, we praise God, and then over coffee, we're just, we're just criticizing someone unfairly, we're stirring up gossip. James says, verse 10, my friends, these things ought not to be so. He says, slow, slow down. This isn't right. It shouldn't be like that. Something's, something's wrong. And so what we're to do when we spot that is examine ourselves to discover if there's genuine faith or, or dead faith. Now, James is largely writing to, to assure us. As we heard last week, he's not, he's not trying to unsettle us. We, we've said throughout that, that we're all consistent. We all have a gap between what we say and what we believe, all of us, whether we're believers or not. So what do we do when we examine the source? Well, look, the genuine Christian knows that there is no penalty for sin anymore. The power of sin has been broken, but the third P, the presence of indwelling sin, is with us as believers all of the way to heaven. And so when the genuine Christian spots this doubledness, this double-souledness coming out in their lips, or, or, or it's pointed out to them and they welcome it because they, they want to grow, that person repents and turns to Jesus. They're, they're troubled by the gap. They say, oh, this... This, this doubleness that's coming out, it's not right, I'm troubled by that. And, and, and with the help of the, the Holy Spirit, they, they seek to close that gap. They, they, James doesn't want to unsettle that person. He wants them to recognize, yes, indwelling sin is there. Yes, I am capable of both praising God and um, saying what I shouldn't. We examine, we repent, we, we go on trusting in, in Jesus. But for the other person, where, where the salt and the fresh, the blessing and the cursing are, are from fake faith or, or dead faith, it, it will be different. So it may be that the salt product reveals a salty source. Deep down, actually, they know that there's no real desire to go God's way. You, you can't get your mouth under control. Try as you might. You've tried the New Year's resolution. You've tried the swear box. Just nothing gets it under control at all. Well, God in his kindness may be revealing to that person that actually we're not yet trusting in Jesus. We don't have genuine faith yet. It may be that that doubleness of lip is revealing a double soulness. And actually we need to just get off the fence and say, I'm going to just start to trust in Jesus and to follow him. And if that's you, I guess the questions are, are you, are you wanting to now live with God at the center of your life? Do you want to be friends with God or friends with the world. But wherever for all of us we're troubled where we see doubledness, 
the solution for all of us is the same. The solution to realizing that there's a doubledness there is actually what we're going to see next week. The solution, if you like, um, is come back next week. I know that's not very satisfying, really. But that is, the, that is actually the point. He's setting us up for next week. And next week, we'll see chapter 4, verse 6, where he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Humble yourself. That's where we're going next week. This week, he's created a crisis point for us, if you like, where we're all sitting here going, well, I don't have control over my tongue. Is, is this me? What am I meant to do? Well, we come back, we're being pointed to humbling ourselves for all of us, whether for the first time or the hundredth time. We humble ourselves before the Lord and we say, Lord, I can't do this. I can't change my heart. I am trusting in you. I'm assured I'm a Christian, but I need you to change me. Will you keep doing that? And all of this finally points us, of course, to Jesus. Where do we ultimately humble ourselves? At the cross, where we come to Jesus, who is the qualified teacher that we need. All of our earthly teachers, all of our earthly Bible teachers will fall short. But Jesus had a tongue that was always under control. He always built up. He never destroyed. That's a comfort for us who have been on the wrong end of a tongue lashing. Jesus always got it right. No unpredictable outbursts from him. No gossip or lying or abuse. When he, was rebuked, sorry, when he rebuked others, as he did, it was always in love and never out of evil or unrighteousness. And so if we're friends with Jesus, as forgiven people in Christ, learning from Jesus, let's pray that by his grace we'd make progress this week in our use of tongue and words. Let's be quiet. Just think about an area that the Lord has laid on us that we need to confess to him and to others. Father, for all of us, you've, you've laid on us, no doubt, areas that we wish were different in how we use the tongue. And we confess to you that we're, we're sorry, we need your forgiveness. Give us the strength as well to seek forgiveness from those that we may have harmed. To say sorry for how we spoke to them. To receive their forgiveness and yours. Give us that humility that we see in chapter 4. Change us by your Spirit. And we recognize that only you can save us, whether for the first time or for the hundredth time. Only you can change us. And so we ask that in your mercy you would be at work in us individually and as a church. In Jesus' name. Amen.